This program is supported by Altus Learn. Did you know that 89% of employees say, if my employer invested in my training, I'm more likely to stay with the organization long-term? An Altus Learn Imaging Campus has the required education for imaging centers to meet annual ACR, IAC, and Joint Commission requirements for radiation and MRI safety and CT dose reduction. An imaging campus not only provides the annual required education, but also provides the imaging center techs with access to over 200 CEs, which are accepted by the ARRT. Including CEs published on the RADCAST podcast, imaging technologists can track all of their CEs through the CE wallet, and imaging center leaders can check the compliance status of each of its team members. Learn more at the bottom of RADCAST.com and click on Get a Campus. So welcome to this episode of Turner Talk, and I'm really excited about this because I've got some of my great colleagues, and we're going to discuss women in leadership, and these ladies hold some very high positions in different societies, affiliates, and then in their settings, whether that's their facilities or their universities or whatever. So everybody knows Dusty, but I'll let Dusty do a brief bio just so she can re, you can become reacquainted with her. And then um, Jennifer Mashburn from Atlanta, I'll let you introduce yourself. And then Rhonda Weaver from North Carolina, I'll let you introduce yourself briefly. All right, Dusty. Um, I'm Dusty York. I'm the clinical coordinator of a nuclear medicine program in Chattanooga, Tennessee, um, Chattanooga State. And I also hold um, several leadership roles with our national organization. I was recently elected president-elect of the Society of Nuclear Medicine and Molecular Imaging Technologist Section. I'm Jennifer Mashburn. I work at Wellstar Kennestone Hospital in the Vascular Institute. I am the second alternate delegate for the radiography chapter of the ASRT, the membership chair for the GSRT, and then president of the Atlanta Society of Radiologic Technologists. And we'll get into that in a, uh, as we get through this. Sorry, Rhonda, I just want to add this real quick, um, that Atlanta has its own society, which is separate from the Georgia Society. So it's one of the few places where a city is big enough that it has its own society so we'll talk about that in a little bit okay Rhonda sorry so I'm Rhonda Weaver and I'm the program chair of the bachelor's completion program at Cabarrus College in Concord North Carolina um, I'm also heavily involved with my state affiliate the North Carolina Society of Radiologic Technologists and um, I've been lucky enough to do some work with the ASRT as well um, currently I am the affiliate delegate for North Carolina to the ASRT and I'm also the venue coordinator and conference planner for the NCSRT so we do have a diverse group of folks. We've got Nick Med folks, some radiography folks, and vascular folks. So that's and I'm a therapist, as everybody knows, if you've ever watched this show at all. So um, we are very diverse. And that being said, I think it's the diversity that we bring um, to women in leadership that's going to make this so very applicable. And you know, maybe give some tips because I think that's something that we really need to focus on is how we support each other. So Dusty, I'll start with you. How did you get there? Where did you start and how did you get to be president-elect? I mean, that's, you know, you can't get a lot higher than that. So how did you get started and, and what, what does your path look like? So I became an educator about uh, 17 years ago. And to be completely honest with you, I don't know if I would have um, went for leadership roles if it hadn't been 
the fact that I was in an educator role and I had the opportunity and I was exposed to a lot of meetings and I want to set that role model for my students. So that's how it all began. We have a state organization, Nuclear Medicine Technologists of Tennessee in our state and our students are required to attend that meeting every year. And we also have a review session for those students. So when we started doing that with the students, I felt like that I needed to take some ownership of that. I needed to play a role, an active role, and be a role model for my students to see that you can have a voice, you can be a leader. Um, so that's how it all began. Uh, and I worked with that organization and still do um, for 17 years now. After that, because I was previously from Georgia, so the college I attended for my nuclear medicine training in Georgia also required their students to attend their state meeting. So I think as a student being encouraged to participate probably sparks that initial interest. That's where my initial interest came from when I was a student and actually spoke at a state conference. Um, so after being very involved with the state organization, I decided that I wanted to be more involved with our national organization. So the first step for me there was to attend our Leadership Academy. That um, was an opportunity that you can apply for. I was selected and attended the Leadership Academy and upon completion of the Leadership Academy, they try to place you in a role on a committee um, so that you can get involved. So that was the first step. After that, I became a, a National Council of Representatives member as a delegate and then became a director at large on the board for the Society of Nuclear Medicine and Molecular Imaging and not just the tech section, mm -hmm. but the whole society. And this year decided to run for president-elect. So I just was announced this week at our virtual conference um, that I, I got that position. So it's been a, a, a long 17 years to get there. Um, but again, I think my initial interest was sparked by being a student in a program that those leaders encouraged us to participate. So fun fact, Rhonda and I met years ago at an ASRT Leadership Academy. We were all we were all at the ASRT. We all worked together. We did um, you know different exercises and lectures and went out to dinner. And um, but Rhonda and I met several years ago at an ASRT Leadership Academy. So we I guess it looks like we would all encourage that. So Rhonda, mm -hmm. speaking off of some things that Dusty said, because you're a program director. Um, what do you, how do you encourage your students to get involved? Do you require they're involved? How do you encourage that one person who may say, you know, I think that's something I want to do? So um, it's really difficult for me to require my students to participate. As I'm a bachelor's completion program, a lot of my students are, um, they're distance learning, so it's an online program and they're all working. And you guys know, if you're a working technologist, that it's really tough to be able to get support to be able to leave and go these types of events but I am lucky enough to work also in an associate degree program with a community college and those students do have more opportunity they usually have clubs and things where they can raise money to sort of help support um, their trips to be able to attend a professional conference and that is something that we have heavily recommended if you have an opportunity to have a group facilitate a group to go to a conference that may possibly be the only experience that these students as technologists ever have in this type, type of an event. Um, and it's really important, I think, for them to be able to see, especially entering into the profession, 
the networking capabilities that you have at these conferences, the people that you meet, the opportunities that you have, just like you just said, six years ago, we were together at the ASRT Educators Leadership um, meeting, and that was something that, you know, I met people from all over the United States and still are in contact with with people so these network opportunities that you have by being involved in professional organizations are something that you know you can't put money on um it's just something that really will help prepare your career in, in directions that you would never realize so we so strongly I encourage i wish i could make them all go but <laughs> we do try. I love it when it seems like everybody's reading my mind so they both jennifer they both mentioned that they're educators but it's very difficult for working technologists to get the support get the time off um have the energy to do these extra things so how did you get into leadership how did you get to your position in atlanta and still work long days I was really lucky when I came out of school. I was the intern for the Georgia Society. So when I was at a clinical site, I just happened to be talking to a director and telling, oh yeah, I was, you know, I'm an intern with the GSRT and a month later I had a job as a So then anything I needed time off wise while he was director, it was like, oh, it's a society thing. Oh, it's professional. Okay, you can have time off, it's fine. And then when our leadership changed, it became a little more difficult. There've been conferences that I couldn't go to because it was, oh, well, someone else already has that time off, so you can't have it. Mm -hmm. And now in my current position, I've been able to talk to my boss, my boss's boss, and they're basically have told me any time off you need, if it's professional, we have you covered, don't worry about it. So it's a lot of it's your leadership and making sure that your direct leadership at work supports you and finds value in you being a leader within your profession. And I've just gotten really lucky over the last few years where I've had leadership that was like, okay, we support this, we'll let you go. So you just kind of learn how to balance things, even with Atlanta meetings. We do three meetings a year. So trying to schedule that around our GSRT meetings, one of the things right. for this year is I want our board to support the GSRT by all of us going to every meeting. Just going to take a little preparation. So it's interesting that you talked about how supportive your leadership is. So I'm going to circle or I'm going to stay with you instead of circling around. And I think one of the questions, because you said that it did require a lot of time from work and that, you know, you've had leaders that supported that and were more wholeheartedly behind that. What are some of your responsibilities as a leader in your affiliate? So for the Atlanta Society, I'm the person that's basically guiding our meetings and also trying to find lecturers, trying to find venues, which right now is a little tough because right. most of our venues are healthcare based. And right now with our COVID numbers in Atlanta, a lot of hospitals are not gonna let us have a hundred people show up in an auditorium for a meeting. Mm -hmm. So we're having to work around, how do we have a hybrid meeting? Well, if the week before the meeting, we can't have a venue at all, how do we fix that? So working on that behind the scenes, reaching out to different people who haven't lectured before, trying to get other technologists excited about lecturing for the first time or coming to a meeting, trying to promote the societies and just getting people in the door. So Rhonda, I think she brought up some good points about preparing people to lecture for the first time or getting them involved. And you mentioned, uh, you know, you talked about encouraging your students and you wish you could all make them, but you can't, but you can encourage them. What does it take to be a leader? For you, what has it taken 
you know, what would you say are the things that drive you? And then how do you recognize or encourage those same traits in other people, like your students or in, you know, in colleagues? Mm -hmm. So first, the first thing you have to have is passion for your profession. I really, really love being an imaging technologist. It, it's something that is very much ingrained in what I do. I also very much, you know, really love to take care of people. And I think that's what led me into the healthcare path. So I feel the same way about my students. I want them to have the types of experiences that I have. And I want them to have the passion and the love for the profession that I have. So a lot of the things that I do specifically, um, you know, volunteering and working with organizations and things like that and supporting the NCSRT, I do to try to just be a good representative of, of the type of person that I would want my students to be. I want, I want to mirror the, the activities that I, I would expect them to do. And, and really, like, I always tell my students, you know, I'm, I'm nobody special. I'm just somebody that said, okay, I'll do it. I mean, nobody else will do it. I'll do it because I want to make sure that it's done Right. And I, and I really care about the things that I do. And so um, I know a lot of a lot of students and don't, they don't really understand like, oh, you're doing all this work, but you don't get paid for it. You're doing all this thing. Like, this is a volunteer. I don't understand. I'm like, you don't understand what I'm getting paid. I'm getting paid experiences that I would never, ever have. I mean, writing a contract with a venue to try to secure a, a facility to do a conference to hold, you know, 350 people, aligning speakers and presenters and trying to um, get vendors. And that, that, that's something that, that would never be a part of my role as an imaging technologist. But it's really fun. Like venue coordination is fun. And so I've learned so many things by volunteering that I would have never had experience with if I did. And so, you know, I really care about the profession. I really care about the technologists in my state. I really care about my students. And I want them to have a good experience. And I think that's why, you know, the work that I've done in the conference in our state, we've, we've increased our numbers from like 150 to 300 just by improving the venues that we cho chose or improving the speakers that we had on our docket. And, and just put a little bit of work and effort into it and seeing the fruits of your labor, I think is so fulfilling. Um, and then bring my students there and they're like, you planned all this? You planned all that? Yeah, I planned all this, you know? And so I think it's almost like your children, you know, your children are like, wow, my mom's really not as dumb as she, you know, <laughs> you really are just proud and you have, you know, this, this sense of self-filling and hopefully inspire the students to want to call on your footsteps and do the things that you do. So Dusty. I didn't really plan this to circle around this way, but this is the perfect question for you. Um, is leadership for everybody? Can everybody do it? No, <laughs> leadership is not for everyone. Uh -uh. <laughs> um, no, you've, I think to be a good, effective leader, you have to be a good listener. Some people just aren't. I think you have to be empathetic. You have to care about the people that you're leading. And some people aren't. Um, you have to be able to have that work-life balance and not let your home life completely throw everything off that you're trying to lead through. Um, those are all things that I think a good leader would possess and not everyone has that. Um, a good mentor even. Some people don't have a mentor and have never had that experience or that relationship. When I was elected this week and received multiple congratulations from people far back in my past, you know, that 17 years ago. And that person was a mentor to me. Um, some people don't have that experience 
and don't have the opportunity to take that into a leadership role. So no, it's not for everyone. And some people realize that they realize that a leadership role is not something that they should pursue. And some people attempt to be a leader and they fail at that. And sometimes that's okay because we learn from our failures. Um, but sometimes people don't realize that they shouldn't be in a leadership role. So no, it's not for everyone, but I do think that, um, there's some definitely some some qualities that would help someone along the way if they were interested. So let's talk about us being women in leadership and, and to all those other, like Dusty said, mentors, those that um, may have guided us to this point. Rhonda, what do you see are some unique challenges to being a woman that may have lots of extra stuff, like you said, that you don't get paid to do. And Dusty mentioned work-life balance and home. And um, I know Jennifer, we, we're working around her work schedule. So she's busy and on the go and does lots of different things in Atlanta. And we're gonna bring up running here in just a minute, Jennifer. We're gonna talk about that. But um, Rhonda, what would you see are some unique challenges for a woman in leadership that may be different if someone else held that position? So, well, one of the things that I've been lucky enough not to have to deal with that much is um, the boys club, right? Um, so that, that is something that happens. And luckily enough, in the field that I've been in, in the places that I've worked, there's been a lot of women in leadership roles that have, have supported me and provided mentorship to me. Um, so I always saw myself, you know, as having the ability to sort of to go in these directions that I've I've gone because I've had women to go before me and sort of paid that way. But our um, college is owned by, you know, a large healthcare organization. And um, there is a lot of bureaucratic, um, you know, things that we have to sort of appease to. And so I do feel like, you know, there, there's sort of like a set mind frame for how things should be. And I do feel like that women sometimes have a different perspective than in that set mindset and so it is kind of a challenge I think there's a lot of um, self-restraint that women have to have that maybe men don't deal with as much you know we bite our tongue a lot and we we kind of smile and nod and 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 there's also a lot of um, you know emotional intelligence that you have to have as female in general but also as a female in leadership so so you really can understand you know when things are coming at you in a harsh manner you know you don't want to go cry you have to you know face it head on but you really have to listen in and see like what's the root cause of this problem what what is really the challenge like are you are you you know just a little insecure that i'm in this position you know what, where are you coming from so so there are some challenges but but also there's a lot of support that's available and i feel like women sometimes feel like we have to do everything and we're scared to ask for help because it makes us look weak um, but learning delegation and, and building your team and getting your team to have some trust and backing in you, you know, helps you to become a really, really good leader. You don't have to do it all yourself. You know, um, the team does include other people and, and everybody wants to help, help the entire department reach the goals that they set. So don't be afraid to ask for help. It's not a sign of so Jennifer, that's kind of the next question about overcoming some of these challenges. And Rhonda, gave, I saw you really nodding your head. I'm really agreeing with her on some, how you maybe emotionally respond to things and how you have to, you know, kind of check that every now and then, or just kind of think through it a little bit and not being afraid to be a little more assertive and asking for help. So um, Jennifer, what do you say about overcoming maybe some obstacles that, for example, like when your leadership changed and maybe they weren't as supportive of your leadership role, how do you overcome some of these obstacles? 
Definitely having a support system, having people around you, both technologists and non-technologists, because sometimes getting an outside opinion outside of our field about what's going on in a professional society or even at work can kind of help you see it in a different way. Right. So I have a really good friend that's an athletic trainer that worked at the same hospital that I used to. So if there's anything going on, I was like, this is really frustrating and I don't understand why this policy is the way it is and I don't like it. She's like, well... <laughs> for my department it's like this and this is why and I was like oh okay now it makes sense but within right. my department it didn't so seeking outside sources beyond just my society or just my department or hospital or even state kind of helps me balance it out and also taking a step back and rereading emails five times and having other people look at before I send them <laughs> so, <laughs> it sounds snarky no okay good <laughs> Uh -huh. so, <laughs> uh, yes, I agree. So Dusty, we, as Dusty is part of my inner circle, um, and I think it's very important, um, Jennifer, that you made the point, and Rod has alluded to it as well, that you have colleagues, we have colleagues nationwide, and so sometimes you do have to seek out those outside, you know, sources, you need some outside advice, you need somebody just to talk you down a minute, but when it comes to your inner circle, Dusty, how do you depend on those people? What do you depend on those people for? As you being in my inner circle, <laughs> those people are your people. They're your circle. They're your tribe. They're your people for issues at home, issues at work, issues within a profession. Um, you know, I probably should pay you because you probably have, have been my therapist. <laughs> um, sometimes you just need that sounding board. Sometimes you just need that person to vent to. Um, and you need to know that that person's going to be there for you regardless. And sometimes they, my inner circle tells me things that I don't want to hear. But that's their responsibility as well is to also just give it to me the way it is. Um, so that's what I expect um, from my circle, but my circle is very supportive. And without that group of individuals, I would not be where I'm at today. So I think especially for women, um, we have to find women who will support us. Women are the world's worst um, to, if someone is, is succeeding, to try to take them down, um, even though, you know, you want to say that you are that person's friend. Women are the worst at that. We are. We have got to learn how to build each other up. Um, so sometimes it's difficult to find that circle, but once you do, you know that that's your, that's your home, that's, that those are your people. I couldn't agree more. Okay, so this is this is the fun fact episode. Um, Jennifer is a runner in Atlanta, and she was recently featured in Runner's World magazine, right, Jennifer? Oh, wow. Yes. Yes, she was featured in Runner's World magazine as somebody who not only ran, but was on the front lines of the pandemic, um, you know, was working long days and still getting in her training. So kudos to Jennifer for that, um, for, those, for those folks that may not have known it. But so, Jennifer, I was listening to a running podcast this morning, um, and it's all about mindset. Um, 
And so Dusty says that you need to find your folks, you need to find your circle. But what about the things you say to yourself? Because something that was said during this podcast, and it was talking about running performance and, you know, how we, how we're often not very kind to ourselves. And one of the things that was said was, would you say to your, would you say to a friend, the same things that you're saying to yourself? So as a woman leader, as a, as a leader who, you know, is, professionally as a leader and then you know you have your other things you have running and things like that going on what do you say to yourself if you get down what do you say to, you know you said you kind of checked yourself on those emails every now and then but how do you keep yourself motivated in leadership I think all of us probably suffer from imposter syndrome to some degree and I'm especially one of those people because even now as president of a society I sit there and think like well all these other people will probably do a better job and then I don't know what I'm doing. And then I sit down and look, well, these are all the things that I'm trying to do this year. This is what I've accomplished this week. I sit down and try to write goals out. I make small little things every week. So even when I start getting overwhelmed or I'm sitting around thinking, you know, I'm really not doing a good job or maybe I should do this better. I can sit and be like, well, actually, I emailed this person about a lecture and they've already gotten back to me. I talked to this person about sponsoring this meeting. So I try to turn it around and kind of get the positives, but you still have your moments where you're going to kind of get down on yourself and talk to yourself the way you probably would never talk to anyone else. So Rhonda, I think that brings up a good point about students. Can you, not that you've done this experiment, but hypothetically speaking, if you had two groups of students and one group of student wasn't encouraged students was not encouraged as much and the other group of students maybe you spoke to in a way that you would want to be spoken to you know what i mean if you treated them differently do you not that you ever would like i said this is purely hypothetical do you think you could see growth i guess that's the point i'm trying to make could you see growth in that group that maybe nurtured got nurturing from you but maybe also nurtured themselves Definitely. I, I feel like um, you can even see growth if you're working in academia and you work with various teachers. We all have different teaching styles. And I, I have a very nurturing teacher, teacher, you know, or teaching style that I, I try to portray. I want my students to really understand the content that I'm delivering. And I want them to understand that I'm, I'm telling them this stuff because it's going to help them. I'm not telling them to hurt them. Right. So I can see, you know, students sort of catching on to concepts that they maybe should have learned in other classes with other teachers that really didn't make sense. But I feel like even with that, you know, that almost is a social experiment that you can do just by watching people's various teaching styles. If you have a, a teacher that's very by the book and, you know, we expect you to study and read and listen to me talk and that's it. Or if you have another teacher that's like, okay, well, let's sit down and talk about this. Let's get in groups. Let's do some discussions. Let's play a game. Let's do, you know, this and that and make sure you understand it. And then all of a sudden these little aha moments pop up. And I really kind of see that a lot with associate degree students once they get into their senior year. And like when we take them to conference, you know, we bring them and we're like, we're so glad that we brought you here and, and you got to experience this. And, and you can see them say, you know, we're so glad we got to come here. We appreciate this. And, and you can really see that like professional, you know, and emotional growth just from the day they start school until they're ready to graduate and move into the profession. So yeah, it is, it is something that that's necessary that I think educators need to make sure that they're, you know, providing that nurturing, supporting environment, but also leaders need to be able to do that. Um, if you're not providing, and you can't make everybody happy, you have to say no sometimes, but if you don't provide any type of empathy or any type of 
support to your staff, then they're going to revolt and the whole department will turn into poison. So, so there is, you know, a level that needs to be um, maintained in any, any type of leadership role, whether you're leading a classroom or you're leading a department or you're leading a society. You know, um, the work that I've done with uh, NCSRP, I, I did hold like board positions and was the president and board chair. And, and I think that the reason that my six, my brain was successful is because I listened to what people were, were wanting. They were tired of the way we always did things. They were tired of the old ways. They wanted something new. And, and I took the time to listen to that and actually tried to, you know, implement some changes. And then I showed appreciation to the volunteers that help su support the society, the people that come and stamp, you know, the the CE sheets and all, all of the help that we need. Nobody had ever even told them thank you. They just expected people to come and do that. And so I started, you know, where we had a little social event specifically for volunteers. If you volunteer, you get to come to the social event. I'm going to give you something to eat and something to drink. And, and people were just signing up to volunteer left and right. And it's like, wow, I got to do stuff for my thank you. And we can always get, you know, let's try this and see how it works. So yeah, that that's a huge, huge part of being a leader. Um, if you're female or male or anything in between. Right. <laughs> you mentioned poison in a department. That's a whole other show. We could do a whole different show about that. So um, I'm going to reference the running podcast again. And full disclosure, I listen to two types of podcasts, running podcast and serial killer podcast. So, you know, true crime. So we'll not hopefully not reference too many true crime podcasts during this. But back to the running podcast. And this is something that Jennifer kind of mentioned as well, Dusty. Small goals, celebrating small goals. I'm sure you did set out to be president of the world, which you you know are now. Um, what small goals did you either set for yourself or once you realized those, you're like, hey, I really did that. And all those kind of compounded on themselves to get to this presidency. But what small goals did you put out there? You know, and I think sometimes we may not even necessarily set the goal and we realize we've accomplished something. Right. Um, so my first um, times were volunteering, um, volunteering within our local society, volunteering to set up a meeting, volunteering to get that together, and then realizing, oh, wow, um, we just pulled this off and was successful in doing this. And then at that point, I probably started to set some of those smaller goals. Um, I speak to my kids about this as well. Um, you need goals. Um, whether it be in your exercise program, um, in your academics, uh, or whether that be a professional goal. Um, otherwise, we get, sometimes we get stale and bitter <laughs> and, um, and we're not moving forward. So I think, you know, anyone who's interested in getting involved in a professional organization should definitely seek out those volunteer positions first and then see where you fit in and um, find out, you know, what committee you could be on, chair a committee. Um, and then after you've chaired that committee, maybe you would want to be a representative on the, the governance. Uh, maybe you want to be a, a delegate or a director. And sometimes it really just takes knowing what that position is all about. And sometimes we're afraid to ask and we don't know. We feel like we should already know what that person does. And we're afraid because we don't know what the responsibilities are and we're afraid to ask what the role is. So we mentioned the leadership academies previously in this, in this podcast. And I do think that if your organization has a leadership academy, it's an excellent place to begin because they usually do address what the roles and responsibilities 
responsibilities are at some point within the Leadership Academy, and then they help you find a place. Um, so sometimes I think that's, you know, the first step. Um, but definitely you have to have small goals. You can't just go out and say, I'm going to do it all. Um, you have to set something that's achievable and that helps build our confidence. And again, I think as, as women in leadership, women sometimes lack the confidence. Um, mm -hmm. We're perfectionists and we think that everything has to be perfect. Um, so by achieving those small goals, we build our confidence to pursue those larger goals. So Jennifer, talking about goals, and this sounds like an interview question, where do you see yourself in five years? But honestly, with everything that you've accomplished so far, everything you've accomplished to date, both personally and professionally, what are some of those goals that you may have set for the next two to three to five years? What are some things that you would still like to achieve? I do eventually want to hold an office with the ASRT. Right now I'm an alternate delegate. I would like to eventually maybe work to a delegate position for two years and then maybe try for like a secretary position or mm -hmm. one of the board positions. Um, work my way through the GSRT board. I'll be on the Atlanta board for the next three years. So <laughs> that'll definitely be a part of my life. Just kind of still stay active one of the things I hear the most from people who have been active for a long time is how tired they are of being on the board. So I don't want to be one of those people. I want to keep changing it up. So I'm not one of those people complaining about being on the board again. So Rhonda, she does bring up a good point. Um, and Rhonda and I have both been delegates, you know, been through all of the House of Delegates meetings, been through all of the um, governance stuff. Really sad that we missed the 100 year mm -hmm. celebration in Albuquerque this summer. But um, Jennifer brought up a good point about almost like the same people doing it over and over again because you other people don't want to sign up to do it or other people get burned out doing it or you get burned out doing it. How do you take on so much responsibility, like you said, for the North Carolina Society and Dusty and I have both been at that meeting, been a part of that meeting and you do a great job with it and you've done a great job with it, you know, talking about how you transformed that. How do you keep yourself protected? So like Jennifer said, you're not the person saying, oh gosh, I've got to do this again. How do you stay energized and motivated and so that you don't reach that, that burnout state? Well, that's tough. That is something that you really have to be aware of. And going back to building your tribe, I have my NCSRT tribe. I have this group that we've been together through the board um, and, you know, as you go president, elect president, uh, board chair, you sort of transition away from the board. And I've been a part of the board for about about eight years now. So I've kind of been been there for a while. Um, but, you know, we have we have this little group that that we all just were so passionate about bringing that conference up to where we expected it to be. And now we're pretty dedicated and passionate about keeping it there. So when it's conference time, you know, I call up my, my peeps and we're, we're kind of on it. And we all sort of have gone through the process enough now that it's a lot easier to sort of manage. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, I'm lucky to have, have another support system here at home. My husband's a technologist and, and he, uh, what does he call himself? He gave himself a title, the assistant venue transportation coordinator, because he drives me places. <laughs> really, like he's he's really a big help too, because when we're you know negotiating contracts and doing things like that, he's just another set of ears. You know, what did they say? I don't really remember, and he remembers all of these things. And um, so, really, just you know, whenever you 
get into that leadership role, really identifying people that get excited and, and are passionate about like you, and then really encouraging them to stay with it. And then you help like sort of pass that flame down, you know, mentor other people to come in and sort of fill your position. So you're still there, you know, sort of watching over instead of doing all the work. So right. it's almost like a, a growth type thing. You, you work, work really hard, and then you build other people up and help train them. You know, support too. And, and one of the things that Dusty was talking about with the leadership academies, that's one of the things that we piloted with the NCSRT. We had like an actual leadership academy just for North Carolina, and we had 10, 10 people to join it. And um, we went through some workshops with them and, you know, fed them a special lunch and stuff like that. But even with that, we brought in a new board member out of that group. We have, you know, a volunteer that's helping with some committee work and just exposing people to it. I think one of the things that that's the biggest challenge is that, and even me, you know, with self-confidence, like you're looking at these people that are sitting up here in this table and they're the board and oh, they look so fancy and they're so smart and there's no way I can do that. And yeah, there is. All you gotta do is say, I'll do it, you know, and then and then you get these opportunities. So um that that's really the biggest thing is not to think that you have you're the only person that can do it. Make sure other people know what's going on, have that drop dead plan. You know, if you fall off a cliff, who's gonna handle it? Make sure somebody else is involved in the planning process. Um, and then it just takes some of the work off of you too, because you you know you have that team to help support you. So Dusty, um, because you've got a very strong state society as well, and I've been a part of that. So I think the theme here is I've been a part of Dusty State Society and of Rhonda State Society, but I haven't been to Atlanta yet. No. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we'll, we'll put that on my, my list, my goals list. Excellent speaker, sign her up. <laughs> <laughs> so Dusty, how would you encourage people if somebody just wants, they're like, oh my gosh, they have motivated me. I've got to do something. How do you encourage people to get started on the local level? So if they're at home, if they're in a, you know, in their hometown, how do they get encouraged at the local level with either a meeting or volunteering or what would be some things that somebody could do for the um, nuclear medicine? What are y'all in MTT? I get all the acronyms. Nuclear Medicine Technologist of Tennessee. So I think as far as a local um, organization, you can volunteer to speak. We're always looking for speakers uh, mm -hmm. and looking for volunteers to help us. If even, you know, stamping at the meeting, like Rhonda said previously, those people are important. Passing mm -hmm. out those sign-in sheets, collecting those sign-in sheets, greeting people at the door. Those people are important. So if you've attended a local meeting, you probably know who those local people are. Uh, maybe you even work with one of those technologists who stepped up. So find those people. Um, those people will become your mentors. We are always looking for new people to get involved. Um, and when someone seeks us out, um, we're excited to have someone say they want to help. Um, I know, again, people have reservations in stepping up to help, um, but that is the first step is, you know, volunteering perhaps. So definitely reach out to those individuals. A lot of local societies now have a webpage and there will be an email address, contact information for you to contact that organization. Or next time you're at a meeting, go to the desk and ask how you get involved. So I think I'll say as educators, sometimes we may take those meetings for granted 
So Jennifer, for a technologist that's working beside you, and like Dusty said, if anybody seeks us out, then we get all excited. Um, for a technologist working next to you and they're like, I just don't know how you do it. I don't know how you have the time. I don't even know what you do. What do you say to them to one, encourage them to keep asking questions, um, to encourage them to you know, be a part of a society, be a part of leadership. But how do you, um, how do you portray what you've got going on there so that other people wanna do it? Definitely that you can fit it in to your life, no matter how much or how little time you have. Because definitely there are weeks when I don't have a lot of time to sit down and email people about lectures. But also, especially with a lot of my coworkers, because I have one I've drug into the society for this year, I try to look at what people are good at and their skills and just say to them, like my friend Kara that I work with, she has a PR and um, nonprofit management background. So I was like, right. so do you want to come to our PR committee? We don't have one, but I'm going to make it for you. So she's going to come on and manage all of our social media accounts and start promoting the society. And she's also going to be helping our seminar team try to get sponsorships for the 2022 Atlanta seminar. So just kind of focusing in on what people's interests are, what they're good at, what their history is, and saying, hey, we have a role for you and you don't have to do 40 hours a week. You can just make a post every month and you'll be a committee chair. And that kind of draws people in and gives them something that kind of feels safe and they can learn the society from there. And then next year she might run for the board or next year she might take on a different role than PR committee. Mm -hmm. So we've talked a lot about meetings and affiliates and academies, and I hope that encourages everybody, you know, I, I hope they have the support to attend these things. So Rhonda, for people who are like, you know, that whole meeting thing's cool and all, but I'm not really, I'm, I'm not, I'm not that kind, of, that's not what I want to do. I want to be a leader in a department. I want to be the kind of leader that supports all of these other people. I want to be the kind of leader that supports my technologists going to state meetings. I want to be the kind of leader that builds other leaders. What, what would you say to your students or to a colleague? How do you tell them to move towards that role, that role of leadership where they feel like they can support people to for these other endeavors? They, they have to be very brave. Um, a lot of the things I feel like that that technologists would like to do, I would like to go to a conference and I'm a technologist, will you support me with that? Sure, but you gotta take your own PTO and pay for it yourself. Well, the nursing department allows you know funding to help with conferences. Why would you allow that for me? So has the leader ever asked, have you ever stood up and championed for your, your staff and your technologists to, to even see if this is a possibility? There most likely is some type of funding that's available that you can supply to your techs. You just have to ask for it. And so really, I think a lot of times it's like, well, we've never had that. We've never done that. Well, be the change. Be the one that goes out and asks, well, we're going to do it now because it's important that the technologists are trained and that they have the education and skills needed to, to promote a really, you know, outstanding department. Another thing is whenever you're sending your technologists off to training or you're supporting them in some way, they're going to come back and they're going to bring things that they learned to other techs around them. So not only are you just paying for one person to be able to share the wealth amongst, you know, the entire team, but they're going to come back re-energized and recharge, they're going to do a better job for you. So if you can't recognize that as, you know, something that's worthwhile to, to support, 
then you know you need to kind of take a step back and see you know what are the issues in the department what do we need to try to help support also i think there's a lot of opportunities especially with the vendors that supply equipment to the facilities to have training to send you know technologists for specialized training that's built into the contract so you need to be aware of what you have available and you need to take some time and sit down and do some research to see you know what can we do how can we support the techs which text can we identify that will bring the knowledge back and actually share it and mm -hmm. not you know, just use it as a vacation or a day off, um, you know, and be able to sort of, of share that wealth amongst the department. So it's it's possibility, but like I say, it, it just takes being brave and, and being, you know, steadfast to stand up for your text and fight for the things that you feel like they should deserve. So Dusty, I think Rhonda, um probably said a lot of things that we would say, especially when it comes to bravery and I'm stepping up and um, being responsible for the people that you chose to lead. And so Dusty, I'll ask you, would you ever consider leaving the college to go back to a clinical setting? Would you ever want to be a leader in a clinical setting? And what um, attributes do you think that you've learned in education that could then translate over to help you be a better leader if you were back in a clinical setting? First, I think I've found my home. I really love education and that's where I plan to stay. Mm -hmm. And we all know that sometimes those plans don't work out um, according to how we see them. Um, but if I were over a department, because I think we've all we've all served underneath someone that we did not approve of their leadership. And we probably all have someone that we respect based off of their leadership. And I think we have to look at those specific situations and how those affected us and how we would be a better leader. So, like I said initially, you know, being a good listener, being empathetic to your employees because they may be exhausted, they may have a sick child at home. Um, those things all have to come into play. That work-life balance. Um, we have to help our technologists achieve that. Mm -hmm. um, those are all things to consider. Um, I think it's very different being in a clinical setting in a leadership role um, than it is at, at a college, for, for example. Um, although I do serve in several leadership roles on our campus as well, it's just different. Um, sometimes, you know, your hands are a little bit more tied in that clinical setting. Sometimes they are in the educational setting as well because of funding and funding feeds everything. Um, but I think we also have to look at, at burnout um, mm -hmm. with, with our leadership, with our supervisors. You know, they may be having a bad day. They may be burnout. That's a whole nother lecture. I think, I think Cheryl has one of those. Um, mm -hmm. But, um, you know, everybody has, has a bad day and everybody has a good day. Um, but we have to look at past experiences and how we've experienced those in order to make a better leader. And I tell people this all the time who complain to me that they're not happy with the leadership. And I say, well, are you willing to step up and make a change? Would you be willing to serve in that role? So how could you be so upset at that person if that's a role that you would never undertake? Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's something we always have to ask ourselves as well. So Jennifer, I'll do one last correlation here. And I know when I run, I have a myriad of emotions. Um, so 
how would you, how do you think running the distances that you run help you to, because we asked Dusty about how's education prepared her for leadership and, you know, Rhonda's talking about all of her meeting planning and everything. So if we take some of our personal coping skills, because we have a whole nother show about coping as well. Um, if we take, and I run to get out of my own head, but then I end up getting in my head, but you know, that's a whole different story. Um, what, because when, how, how do you think some of the things you've learned about perseverance and about obligations and about almost kind of duty to self, kind of taking care of yourself, how have some of those things translated into your leadership roles? Definitely makes me realize that the first like couple months or miles within anything is going to be the most painful until you settle in and get comfortable. So right now with the Atlanta Society, I'm in my like painful first three miles <laughs> where like everything feels like a really hard effort. And like, I just want to hit my head on a wall sometimes. And it's like, why don't I have all these lectures magically done? But I know that once I get to like four or five, we're going to be okay. Like I'm going to get comfortable. It's going to be, I'm going to start coasting through and it'll be okay. It's just, you have to learn how to pace yourself. You can't start right. out like trying to go a hundred miles an hour at the very beginning of the year and then burn out four months into the year and want to be done and stop caring. You have to kind of find a way to pace yourself through the beginning, stay slow and start speeding up towards the end of the year and putting in more effort at the end of the year so that you get everything completed once you put all the groundwork in at the beginning. I loved I loved that correlation. Maybe I'll start running that through my head, you know, when I think I'm done at like mile four. So I think one of the most important things that came out of this conversation as we're wrapping up here is how strong we are and how strong our friends are and how strong our colleagues and how strong our people are. One thing that was not brought up at all, even though we talked about work-life balance, nobody said, I can't do this because I've got to do laundry. Nobody said, I've got kids all over the house. Nobody said, I've got a dog to take care of. Nobody said, I'm working too much. Actually, we said the exact opposite of that. I think Jennifer even said, you've got time. You may be busy, but you've got time. And so I think the one thing that we didn't do was blame anything on anything else. We just talked about strength and resiliency and friends and people and colleagues and you know how important I think we are to each other professionally and how important I think we are as leaders to the profession. So I thank you all so very much.